Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Karen Walker. She's been in your shoes. As employee 104 at Compact Computer, she led the organization from zero to a $15 billion in annual revenue. For the past 20 years, she's been a consultant, executive coach, and thought partner for high-level executives facing growth at Lightspeed. Karen, welcome to the show. So happy to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've actually done an astronomical amount of things, and you're continuing on that path. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Oh, sure. Uh, well, I'm a product of the West Texas oil fields. Okay. I, uh, I, I grew up in Odessa, Texas, which is sort of midway between Dallas and El Paso and literally in the middle of the desert. Uh, my high school was the Friday Night Lights High School. Oh, very cool. So, yeah. And so what we had in Odessa was uh, was really uh, oil, uh, football and sand. So that's, <laughs> that's what I grew up with. And then um, and then I went to school and became a, an engineer by degree. Okay. Uh, what made you I want was, to take engineering out of curiosity? Yeah. So my dad was an engineer. Okay. And I, I was really good at science and math. And I kind of never gave that a second thought. Um, you know, the, the other things I was good at, like English, uh, at least okay. back in the day, if you were good at something, you could place out of it. Um, and so sadly, as much as I love reading, um, I no longer, uh, you know, I, sorry, at that point, I, I just placed out of English. And so I didn't, I didn't follow any of those things that I love doing as well, at least not academically. Uh, but I, I did follow science and math and um, I got my degree in engineering, although I wasn't an engineer very long. Um, I has certainly stood me in good stead uh, in terms of teaching me how to think about problems. Interesting. No, that's, that's cool. So you get out of school, walk me through your career at Compact up until leaving and doing your own thing. Oh, sure. So I started, I went to work for a company uh, called Texas Instruments, which was a Fortune 100 company, I'm going to say at that time, Sure. Uh, right, right out of school. I'd interned with them, and so I went right back. And uh, it, a couple, after a couple of years, and I had a pretty stable job. You know, they were, I was getting promotions every six months, and I was doing, you know, I was managing a couple of people, and which was pretty, you know, good for somebody in their early twenties at that point. Sure. But I noticed some people leaving that I really thought a lot of, um, and in particular, some some director level managers that were leaving, and they were there was a, they were starting a new company down the street, according to the grapevine, and I really admired these people and I thought well why are they leaving and what are they going to do and you know this was back in the early 80s and there weren't startups on every corner then what sure. there are now it was, a, it was an unusual thing so anyway um I went down and interviewed with them and uh, they hadn't shipped any product yet and I didn't know what they were what they were building um I we assumed one thing because of the division that they came out of but it turned out to be something else uh, and I said, look, I don't know if I can do this job or not, because I think you guys are going to require clean rooms and, you know, doing things with creating semiconductors. And they said, oh, no, 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 you can, you can do this job. Please come. Uh, and so I, I took a big leap of faith. Uh, I left, uh, that job, uh, much to my mother's dismay. And I went to work at this little startup and, uh, which turned out to be compact computer, okay. uh, Interesting. Which, was was then the you know the fastest growing company in American history, so we did 111 million dollars in our first year. Wow! Um, we were the fastest to a billion, and uh, by the time I left, 14 years later, we were at 15 billion and had grown from 104 people to about 17,000. And for me, I went from a sort of a party of one, uh, being in charge of the physical infrastructure, uh, to growing my part of the organization. Um, to, I think I had about 350 direct people in my organization and then thousands of contractors and consultants worldwide. And what we were doing was um, creating 
the physical infrastructure, which is to say we had to decide what we needed, where and when in terms of physical facilities. So all the real estate stuff, sure. which is the longest lead time item for a computer company. Uh, and we were growing so fast, we didn't know how much we needed. And we were always afraid, right, that we were going to have a downturn. And you didn't want to have this expensive real estate either owned or leased if you had a downturn. So I got really good at creating flexible solutions okay. uh, to, to to the problems of fast-growing companies, and also at creating high-performance teams that were aligned and could get to work quickly. So really accelerating that performance. Uh, and so that's what I did for 14 years. Very cool. No, I, it, it's it's cool because I remember um, my dad used to bring home on the weekend, he worked for the government up here, the little like Apple IIe, but the first computer we had at home I remember it was the I, I can't remember the exact model, but it was like the compact like 386, and that thing yeah, was just yeah. like lightning's fast at the time, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so sad to look back, but it's, it's what we had. Like Windows 3.1. Yeah, I remember getting off a plane in Singapore and seeing someone lug one around, and I was like, "Wow, we're a real company now, right?" But it was giant, and it did so little. Um, but Interestingly enough, I mean, the, the, one of the things about Compaq was that we fought with IBM sure. over an open standard yeah. uh, on the software front. And there's an, there's an interesting uh, documentary out uh, by an Academy Award-nominated director called uh, Silicon Cowboys. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, on Netflix and iTunes now. We premiered at South by Southwest a couple years ago, which was so much fun. Very cool. Um, but anyway, if people are more interested sort of in the history of that time, uh, it's, I think it's a really good documentary. No, very cool. So walk me through your journey to leaving Compact to doing your own thing. Like what made you decide to move on from there? Like, sure, you were there for a long time, but what made you actually decide to leave and, and do your own thing? Yeah, so it was, a, it was a really interesting time for me because, I mean, being there at sort of the Big Bang and then, mm. you know, growing with the company over all those years and um, – you know, it was a whole different skill set to be sure. working there when there were, again, you know, 17,000 people rather than 104 of us trying to get everything done between us. Sure. Um, and, of course, what happens at most big companies, I'm sure there's someone somewhere in the universe that's found a way around this. But at most companies that size, you know, it's just different, right? Yeah, you, fair. Your, your culture is different. The people you attract are different. Um, it's not that you can't still get good things done. It's just a different kind of environment. Often the culture is very different as well. And and I realized that my job at that point was just going to get bigger, but not any different. Because at, at that scale, you can't really move a, a VP laterally. At least it's okay. pretty rare for that to happen. Um, and so I had some other things I wanted to pursue, but I didn't know what yet. So, and this is not, you know, this is not advice for other people to follow. It's just what I did. Um, I, I got okay with leaving the money, which was seriously a consideration because at that point in time, Fair we had enough. lots of options, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, but I was confident that I could always put food on the table if it came to that. And I, um, I, I left and I moved to New York City. We were in Houston, moved okay. to New York City, took classes at Columbia um, and some different you know, architecture and philosophy and whatnot. Went to every conference I ever thought I wanted to go to, met a lot of authors and just did a lot of sort of what do I want okay. uh, as opposed to what am I good at doing? Because I'm, I think most people are that are successful. We're good at a lot of things that aren't necessarily what we love. They're just things we're good at. And so people keep giving them to us to do. Can, uh, can, yeah. Well, okay. I, I want your thoughts on this. Sorry to interrupt you, but oh, I, no, you actually got me thinking about this lately. It's like, I've been a designer my entire career for the most part. Right. And a few years ago, well, maybe like a decade or so ago, I got kind of bored of doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do something different. But again, to your point, like people, well, you're good at it. We're just going to give you that. And you're like, well, no, no, no. I want to do this other thing. But it's kind of like, this is what you do. So we need you to keep doing that. And it's hard because you need to, st I, I feel like, at least for myself, like I stepped away from it for, for a few years and then kind of came back to it and the passion came back but it, it took me some time away did you find that as well or, or what are your thoughts around that 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's such a common dilemma that, that we find ourselves in. So for me, I couldn't figure out while I was at Compaq what I wanted to sure. do next. I was just too busy. Okay. And um, so I would tell people I'm, I'm leaving, but I don't know what I'm going to do next. And they're like, oh, you know, how can you do that? <laughs> sure. Which <laughs> is like, scary, well, you know, though, to be fair, for most people. For most people, absolutely. But, you know, it's just me. Sure. And again, I had I had confidence that, you know, I mean, one of my options was I could be a Zen monk, which wasn't going to take a lot of money to live on. So sure. I'd, I'd have been I'd have been fine if that had been the path I had taken. So I, I, I wasn't I wasn't worried about finding something to do. It was more about how do I figure out what's next? OK, um, but for, but for most people um, who, who didn't have the fortunate circumstance that I found myself in, um, I think, you know, sort of the the easier path would be to, to, to continue to do what you're good at that people will pay you for, but maybe to do less of it so that you can free up your, some time to explore uh, the other things that you're interested in doing. Um, and to, to and also figure out, so what are, the, what are the things that you love about your current, your current job that you're really good at? You know, so maybe it's not the design that you're doing. Maybe it's the problem solving. Sure. And how do you take those strengths that you're oh, really good at that maybe you love doing and apply them to other problems, right? So sort of sort of go back to go back to the base of what it is that that you like doing, not just where you're applying it. Yeah, no, that's actually really good advice because I, I'm sure others listening have struggled with that, right? Because it's <laughs> it's so tricky. Well, and probably the people that you work with, right? If you've been the right. CEO or you're a high level person at a company that's successful, you know, walking away from mm -hmm. six plus figures or more a year to go chase a passion is yeah. not always in the cards, right? Right. You know, I think the other thing people struggle with is so I have to figure out if I'm not going to do this, you know, what, how am I going to fulfill my life's dream next month? Sure. Um, and and that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So the other thing to think about is just so you don't have to figure out what you're going to be doing in 30 years. Just figure out what you're going to be doing next. Sure. That is directionally correct for you. Yeah. Okay. Right. Fair enough. And so it's 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 not as most careers and particularly most careers in modern times are not straight lines. Sure. Right. You know, my mother knew from the time she was two years old, she wanted to be a nurse and okay. she was her whole life. Very cool. That's the work she did. Good for her. I mean, you know, I'm proud of her. But most of us, you know, I wanted to be a nuclear scientist or an archaeologist. Okay. When I was a little, right. Those were my, those were my goals. Well, by the time I, that's not what I did. Sure. <laughs> I ended up doing something completely different <laughs> and then completely different again. Uh, but always sort of building on these core strengths that I have as I understood myself better. Sure. So walk me through your career post-compact because you've been doing your mm -hmm. own thing for a long time. You wrote a book. And those are just kind of a couple of things. But walk us through that journey and sure. up until yeah. leaving compact, what you're doing now and kind of that whole journey because I think that's fascinating. So when I left Compact, as I said, I, I left Houston, moved to New York. Yeah. You know, I just explored. I did. I called it my walk around. Uh, and I had a consulting job fall on my lap in San Francisco. So I moved to Sausalito oh, nice. and I lived on a houseboat so I could drive over the Golden Gate Bridge to work every day, Sweet. which was awesome. Uh, and I met my, my now husband, okay. who uh, is a, I'm an engineer by degree. He's a psychologist. Okay. And he had been working with tech CEOs um, on creating high-performance teams okay. and really helping them execute uh, and so we learned a lot from each other. And as I said, I went, then I went back to Columbia. I got theory behind the practice that I knew. Sure. Uh, and we worked together for 10 years. Uh, and then he decided one day that he really would rather be teaching Tai Chi and fishing. Okay. And so that's what he's doing now. And I'm like still full steam ahead. Interesting. <laughs> But, uh, but the work has really been around um, primarily tech, not 100%, but I'd say you know, probably at this point 90% of my clients are in the, in the tech space. Sure. Um, uh, once, once an organization finds its product market fit, there's the then what, right? Sure. How do, how, do, how do we take advantage of this opportunity that's in front of us? And so working with CEOs, high-level leaders and organizations to make sure that they're clear about what they're doing and why, strategy, which is not a book that goes on the shelf, sure. but you know, what, what's, the, what's the practical strategy that you're driving towards? 
uh, what are your measurements for how you know get there? Um, how do you stay aligned around that with all the you know all the, all the myriad of things that are present that you could be doing? Uh, many of those beautiful shiny objects. <laughs> how do you make sure that you stay aligned and you're all you're all pulling in the same direction? Um, so that you can execute effectively. Sure. Um, it's not just efficiency. I'm an industrial engineer, so efficiency is a lovely word to me. Uh, but sometimes we get we get too caught up in the uh, just driving for, towards the goal that we set, rather than understanding that the world changes pretty rapidly today, and we do need to be flexible and adaptable in the both in the goals that we set uh, and in how we measure our progress towards them. Sure. So how did you guys get to uh, Florida then? Oh, yeah. So uh, this is a very roundabout story. I actually, uh, when, when Bob came and lived with me in California, which was lovely. Okay. And uh, remember, I grew up in the desert. Sure. This is a key factor. Uh, Bob had been living in Vermont. Okay. And so he took me to Vermont in October to see if I could thought I could live there because I'm like, hey, I'm a big city girl. I don't know if I could could do Vermont or not. But October in Vermont, okay. it's fall leaf change. Sure, it's you know one of those beautiful places in the world. There's a giant lake, Lake Champlain. Uh, there were geese. We saw a moose. And best of all, they have a wonderful little airport that's 40 minutes from New York City. Okay. And so I said, well, yes, of course I could live here because you know who would want to live in this beautiful place with all this water? Who Grew up in the desert with no trees and no water, uh, and so we lived there for uh, for 20 years. And basically, okay. I fly to work for most of my most of my clients. Sure. Uh, and then once Bob decided on the Tai Chi and fishing path, sure. uh, he was done with winter, and so Vermont didn't make much sense to live in. And I just need to be near, near a good airport. Okay. So so we moved to uh, to South Florida, to Jupiter, Florida, and. I'm near an excellent airport, and uh, he gets up every morning, and the first thing he sees after he looks over me is the boat. Nice. So uh, we, we, uh, we both got our dreams met. That does not sound terrible at all. The, the only thing that I don't understand about Florida is how you guys do anything in the summer, because literally crossing the street, oh, you're like don't. dripping wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't. I, one thing I knew from living in Houston so long was I didn't want to be here in the summer, so uh, we we kept our house in Vermont for many years, gotcha. and then last year we sold it, okay. and it was our. We just did we did a ninety day road trip, nice. um, and I just used different airports to fly to work. And basically, as long as I have my laptop, sure, uh, and I have a have an airport, I'm in uh, pretty good shape. No, very cool. So I want to dive a bit deeper into what are you doing today because you wrote a book. What's the mm -hmm. book called and what made you decide to actually write the book? Yeah, so the book is called No Dumbing Down, okay. which is one of the strategies in the book. But it, it's basically a primer. It's a, okay. a no-nonsense guide for CEOs on, on organizational growth. So it's that sort of once things get going, right? once you've got that product market fit, because without that, the rest of it doesn't matter so much. Then what do you do to, to, to really get the internal strategies to support that external growth? Okay. And um, I never – I sort of hadn't desired writing a book. Okay. Uh, but then the process of writing it – someone talked me into it would be a good idea. The process of writing it, which really helped me codify my ideas and sort of, oh, yeah, I am doing these things with – these same things with many companies and getting these results. And so um, it helped me both sort of think through what I was doing, but also uh, gave me a way to, to reach more people okay. uh, with the work that I was doing. Very cool. Uh, and so that's, that's really how the book came about. And fortunately I found a, I found a publisher right off the bat. And so uh, it came out last October and now I'm, uh, you know, it's both, both selling, but also um, I'm speaking on it and, uh, doing workshops on it and that sort of thing. So it's just um, it's just an expansion uh, of the work that I've been doing. Sure. So how do you work with CEOs or other organizations to actually make changes with them? Because I think that in itself can be really tricky, right? Especially people get they they grow a company to a certain point and it's obviously been successful. Yep. It's got to be hard sometimes for them to hire somebody like you because you basically are trying to work with them to, to take them to the next level. And, and sometimes that can require a lot of changes. Sometimes it doesn't or maybe they need to adapt or all the things. So how do you work with them to kind of take them to the next kind of level or 
um, you know, next mm-hmm. kind of 10, five, three years in their company? Yeah. Um, and those, and those are the questions, right? Is, Hey, we're, we're here. We've got this, we've got this explosive growth going on around sure. us. How, how do we, how do we navigate through that so that we can come out to whatever the, the end point, which is uh, typically an exit of some sort. Uh, we want the, what we, you know, what do we want that to be and how do we get there? Sure. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's gotta be a trusting relationship. Sure. So people have to uh, have to trust that I can help them do that. Um, but but maybe even more important, they have to want to do things differently. It's that old, you know, what got you here won't keep you here sure. or won't get you there. Uh, and I don't know whether you know that's been attributed to, to several different people, but it's completely true, right? All those amazing skills uh, that the typical founder slash CEO has uh, were were wonderful right up until the point that they're not. Yeah, fair. And so, <laughs> right. Uh, and and so as you navigate this explosive growth in your organization, um, sort of coaching the, the CEO and the senior team, because I think um, both are really important um, to understand sort of what their strengths are so we can continue to build on those and what the new needs are that aren't getting met. And either how do we develop those within the organization or how do we hire them? Sure. Uh, so that so that these blind spots that oftentimes we have because they're not areas we've worked in before uh, don't get in our way. Yeah, and, fair. Uh, yeah, and so that takes the. You know, sometimes that it looks like coaching. Um, oftentimes it looks like working with the the leadership team around developing their skills, helping them stay uh, accountable for the plans that they put out, um, or conscious about changes that they make. Um, and you can do that in a whole variety of ways, but typically it's some some cadence that we get on around um, maybe offsites once a quarter or something where we really focus in on um, plans and goals and results from the last from the last quarter because I'm all about business outcomes. Sure. Um, and then also as the company is growing, how do you how do you maintain that alignment between all those different functions? Because one of the things that can happen is that we we hire amazing individual contributors, right? Yeah. People who are really good at jobs. And then we make them we make them managers or leaders. And they may or may not have the skills to do that. But they're, they can be over-focused on sort of maximizing their function or their unit instead of optimizing for the whole. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. And what, what, what I don't – so I don't mean – this is where it's sort of no dumbing down comes from. I don't mean that anyone or any function should have to dumb down – to the level of sort of the lowest performing member on their team, which is what often happens. But how do we get all the, all the parts of the team, all the parts of the organization working at a place where they're contributing everything they can, but it's done in a way that is, is optimized uh, with all the other parts because those cross-functional results, cross-functional relationships are so important to success for a growing organization. Sure. Uh, And, and, you can tell me if this is a bit of a, a tangent or maybe if it's even off topic, but mm-hmm. I'm really curious to get your thoughts because you've, you've been in the trenches doing this is like, take myself, for example, I, I mentioned to you a few, a while ago that um, I've kind of been a designer most of my career. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think at, at my last job before we sold, um, I basically got, promoted is a, the wrong term for it, but just let's just go with that um, to where I was doing way less design and kind of managing the people mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. actually doing the design. And the, the running joke, at least I've heard is kind of like you get promoted so far away from what you're truly <laughs> passionate and qualified to do that you become almost miserable and terrible at your job because you don't even know what you're doing anymore because that's not your passion or what you're trained for. So how do you work with people? Because obviously as you get older, younger people with the new skill sets come in and, and do that and and need to do that. How do you work with people that, you know, were maybe employee 10 or hundred and now the company's thousands of people and they're promoted to managing people uh, below them, but they're kind of struggling because maybe they were trained, maybe they weren't trained, maybe they hate it, maybe they love it, but don't really know what to do to help the people that they're managing because 
that to me seems like a huge issue that I even struggled with, right? Mm. It's like, how do you manage people when you were like, I, I don't really want to be a manager, but now I'm a manager. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so common. And, um, and there are a number of ways to approach that. One is um, just to recognize the fact that, that a growing organization needs a constant supply of leaders. Okay. And those leaders can be managing people, but you can also lead from an influencing position. But, but to, to recognize we don't just need to have our executive team, but as the organization grows, that leadership, current leadership team is going to have to take on more and more responsibility. And so we're going to have to offload some of that. Sure. That happens naturally. The question is, do you have someone to offload it to that is uh, capable of picking it up and doing it well? Uh, and so uh, one of the things I'll do with organizations that are um, sort of growing this quickly is to develop that next layer of leadership okay. uh, so that that's there. But when we take the case of what you were saying, so someone who comes in and they're really good at a function sure. and they get, they get promoted, which this happens all the time. Somebody's really good at doing at doing. And we say, okay, you're good at doing, therefore you're going to, you can manage the doing. Sure. Cause it's almost like you're dumbing it down for me, skills. right? Like right, if exactly. I'm the worst the possible manager, you're right. kind of dumbing it down for me, right? Yeah. Because we, we yeah. don't come out of the womb knowing how to do this, sure. most of us. So um, you, you need to give the person going into that role uh, some support, for one, so that they can learn more about what it means. I mean, a lot of managers, even at the first, second, third level of management, are not comfortable giving feedback. Interesting. They're not comfortable um, dealing with conflict. Sure. Right? They're not comfortable with... Um, um, setting performance goals. That's why so many people don't get their performance reviews. Well, performance reviews should be given all the time so that when the annual review comes around, it's just a matter of recapping what was said during the year. But so many people put it off so that, it, you know, it's, it's this big thing, this monster that rears its head, you know, at the beginning of the year. Interesting. And uh, it doesn't have to be that way. But anyway, I think for, for like people who've been promoted up and are unhappy, you know, you, you have to sort of step back and think, what is it? You know, what is it that does motivate me? And so people are typically either motivated by power or affiliation or achievement. This was a model okay. by a guy. Like one McCullough. of those three things or all those one things? Of those, all three, but in different um, proportion. Okay. So like I'm highly achievement motivated. I have a middle low affiliation and like almost no power motivation. Okay. So interesting, right? So for me, but how did you figure a, that out? Sorry to go off on a oh, tangent. Oh no, no. Again. I, I, I took an assessment. Okay. I had some, I had some really smart uh, uh, person around me who said, "Oh, you'd be interested in knowing this. It would help you." And so okay. uh, I got that information. I, 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 I learned more about myself, and I decreased my blind spots, which made me more effective. And um, and by learning that, I realized that that because I'm so achievement motivated, what I could get more achievement. I could get more done by working through others. Okay. Right? Interesting. And so that became a motivator for me to be a better manager, a better leader. Interesting. Okay. Right. But if, if what, if what, if what you love is the doing of the thing, then, sure? then what happens is we go into, we become a manager because we make more money. Yeah. I mean, not nine times out of 10 and maybe even more than that. Yeah. Somebody says, yes, I want the manager title because it comes with a raise yeah. in stock. Right. Yeah. Rather than having a technical track as well in an organization where people are rewarded for, uh, you know, greater and more technical ability. So they don't have to do that to make more money. Now, the, one of the fabulous things about tech is that with the availability of, of options, people can can make money yeah. without having to get brought over into the management leadership side if they're not inclined to go that way. Yeah. You're right. That that is it is one of the few industries where you have that option, right? Because right, yeah, no it, it, yeah. No, fair enough. It, it's interesting, right? Because, I, well, I think too, and again, drawing from own kind of my own selfish uh, experience, like as you get older and you start having a family, obviously making more money and having benefits for. Your kids and my kids are, mm -hmm. are are still like two and four, but you start thinking, like, what if they need braces one day? Well, you know, yeah. employee benefits starts factoring into the mm -hmm. decision because you're like, well, if I have to fork out money for braces one day, or if my employer just covers that or part of that, it, it sounds kind of stupid when you're 20. Because when I was 20, I was like, wow, I don't really 
care about any of that stuff, right? Right. But, yeah. But like when you're in your mid thirties, you're and you have kids and you're married, you're you're like, oh well, all that stuff becomes way more important, right? So right. It, it's hard kind of navigating that sometime, right? Like, do I take more money and more responsibility mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. do less what I love? Or do I just kind of go back to doing what I love and make less money or it's a struggle, right? And it is, and there's no one right answer there, Uh, right? Different, different times of life. You're going to be motivated in different directions. Sure. Uh, What, what I hate seeing, what sort of breaks my heart is seeing people who are in roles that they really don't like. Sure. And, and you can't, you can't be successful because people, the people that are working for you know that you don't like this role. Yeah, interesting. Uh, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's really hard to be successful in a role like that. Um, and so I think one of, the, one of the ways to start to make that better for people is to help them see sort of what's in the role that you can like, that you can find some purpose in, that you are good at, that you do enjoy doing. You know, what is it that really, other than the paycheck that gets you up in the morning and wanting to, to flip on a computer or show up at the office? Sure. Uh, and, and if you can figure that out and sometimes it's just, Hey, I, I, I love doing this thing, but I love doing it so that the end customer gets value from it. Sure. Right. And so if you can flip that into, by managing people and doing it well, we can do an even better job of creating that value at the end of the chain. No, that makes sense. Right. And so sometimes that's enough. So it, it's, it's the, um, and as I said earlier, you know, maybe it's not the, the the doing of the thing, but the way that you do it that is satisfying to you, sure. right? So like for me, I'm, I'm a problem solver. I can't not solve a problem. And so I just need to make sure that I am focused on problems that need to be solved. And it really doesn't matter as much what um, what it is that I'm doing. Now, I've chosen this area really of sort of, uh, you know, executive leadership sure. and high performance teams uh, and high growth uh, because that's, I get a lot of juice there, but I can do that for a nonprofit, sure. right? Um, who Who's not growing at light speed or uh, who has sort of issues that are different. Um, but I can do that because it's still a problem to be solved and I have the skills to do it and it's rewarding for me to solve the problem. Sure. So, uh, like, I, I want to go back to the book though, because how do you work with kind of CEOs and, and their leadership team to actually guide them through the changes and growth and actually staying kind of relevant in the ever-changing landscape? Yeah. Uh, and let's just start by saying not every not everyone stays relevant, right? Not everyone okay. chooses to grow with a company, right? Interesting. So, People people will opt out and say, hey, you know, this has been amazing, but I really like sort of this early stage. Sure. So they go find another early stage to be part of. Okay. Um, and then someone who enjoys sort of this later stage will come in. Um, I think about sales, for example. The sales leader in an organization will often change as the organization grows. Sure. Um, just because it's a different skill set. Maybe you're, maybe you're moving from um, sort of selling to one uh, one class of customer to another, uh, maybe small, medium business up to enterprise at some point, sure. right? It's a different skill set uh, that you may or may not be drawn to or have when the company needs it because you always want to ask, do we have time to develop this in the person that we have or do we have to hire it from outside because we don't have time to, for the development? So so that's the whole thing is whether whether the team that's there wants to grow with the company or not. Some will, some won't. Uh, but but working with, uh, with these um, – senior leaders. Um, I, I talk about several different strategies in the book that will support them in making sure they have the right internal strategies to support this external growth. So one of those is this idea of no dumbing down, right? So how do you get your organization to work at full potential um, without dumbing down your output? And uh, one of the things that occurred at Compaq was we had an amazing founder and CEO who was so good at making sure that that happened because he was vigilant right. uh, for people who were dumbing down the conditions that cause it. So uh, that starts at the top. Interesting. Um, then secondly, helping the team look at their processes, their tools, and their behaviors 
because sometimes those get stuck. Okay. Right. We, sure. We're doing it this way because we've always done it this way. Well, fine, but it's not going. It doesn't work that way anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and so to to think about a continuum, sort of from startup to grown up, um, but to know that that's not a one way street. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can get stuck on one end or the other, and what you really want is to be agile enough to pick the right response to the situation you're in, because things change. Sure. And so I've seen young companies who were so overburdened with process that they couldn't get out of their own way, right? And I've seen old companies that never put enough process in place to be able to take advantage of all the benefits of process, right? All the, the replica, replicability and the scalability of process. Um, and so they, this, these companies would just keep, you know, sort of reinventing the wheel every time, sure. which takes a lot of time and attention away from the leadership team who should be focused on other things at that point. So, so really looking at processes, tools, and behaviors and making sure that you're, you're responsive to the changes that are happening. Um, and then uh, I have this idea I have, um, it's called playing bumper cars. Okay. <laughs> so this is thinking about what happens when unexpected events occur. Sure. Now we, we know they're going to, yep. right? Uh, no one is a hundred percent at, uh, at planning and, uh, strategy and prognosticating. And so to make sure that we create sort of guardrails for ourselves and our plans, because we will not grow in a straight line. Right. We're either going to grow faster than we think, or we're going to grow not as fast as we thought we would. Yeah. And so to have the plans in place for those sort of, you know, what are the boundaries of that growth, either up or down? Uh, you know, what's the marker so we know when we hit them? And then what will we do in response? Um, and it's sort of like bumper cars, because as you know, if you're playing bumper cars, you get hit by another car. It can take you careening off in a direction you weren't expecting. But those guardrails bring you back in. Yeah, interesting. And so, right? So think about what are those for the organization. Um, and then I think it's um, it's also really important for senior teams in particular, but this is true for everyone in the organization, to make sure that they are spending enough time looking at the long view okay. and the big picture. And so that requires taking time to think okay. because we get so caught up in the short term and the urgent yeah. that we don't take enough time to think and to look at sort of the big picture. Okay. And no one is ever going to put that on your calendar. It's sure. like figuring out what your career is going to be, right? Yeah. No one ever puts time in your calendar for you to do that. <laughs> sure. uh, same thing with the, with the organization. And having a once-a-year strategy retreat is just not often enough in today's world. Sure. And so I, I like to think about um, the executives I work with sort of levitating in a way, right? Okay. They're just getting above it all yeah. and, uh, and looking at the big picture for some people. You know, they can do that an hour a week, and that's fine. For other people, it takes them an hour to get all the crap out of their heads so they can begin to do that. Interesting. So they need larger blocks of time. But the important thing is put time on your calendar to look at the big picture so that you can think bigger okay. and not get just sort of drawn back into sort of what's the urgent. I mean, so many people just go from from meeting to meeting playing whack-a-mole all day, right? Sure. Just, Sort of yeah. hitting, hitting problem after problem after problem on the head, and then another problem <laughs> pops up. And that's not going to stop. You cannot win that game sure. um, and, until time runs out, right? That's how the game is won. It's not that the moles ever stop popping up. Yeah, interesting. Um, and so, so making sure that you are spending your time on the most important things, sort of highest and best use of your time. Sure. And for people, particularly in leadership positions, you one of the things you're paid for is taking time to think and seeing the big picture. It's not just problem solving every day. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, that's actually really good advice. The, thank you. And then the very last thing, um, and I think this is, I call this sort of the so what. We all have, you know, we've read books or gone to conferences and, and we, we have good ideas about things we could do and we have intentions maybe about doing them, but how to get those behaviors and intentions aligned is, can be hard. Uh, sure. Hard to change change our behaviors, and so putting in place an accountability structure, both for you individually, but also with your team, sure. so that you can hold each other mutually accountable, to make sure that you get the things done that you say you're going to do, without too much distraction. Yeah, no, it's interesting because, and, and you could tell me your thoughts on this. Is mm -hmm. you go to a conference with a couple of your coworkers and. I don't know, let's say it's a Wednesday to Thursday, uh, Wednesday to Friday type thing. Yeah. You fly home on Saturday and you have Sunday to kind of decompress. You you all uh -huh. obviously come back to work on the Monday. 
and you're pumped, you know, you just came back from a conference, you want to try a bunch of new things. I, I find like a couple weeks later, you're you're back to kind of doing the same old kind of stuff you were doing before you went to that conference. Mm -hmm. So how yeah. do you keep that going? Because in some ways um, you could say that about a lot of things, right? You read this new book yeah, or this right. and that. It's like, but how do you actually go about implementing this stuff that you learn at your company, whether you're the CEO or maybe way down in the totem pole? How does that kind of work? Yeah, that's exactly what happens, right? I, I mean, I, I, I experience it myself, right? There's so many good ideas sure. running around in the world, and and that's why you have to you have to schedule time to okay. think about is this really important to me? Um, why is it important? So you have what what's your internal motivation going to be for for doing something different? Um, what are the first steps that I'm going to take towards getting it done? Okay. Uh, how do I recognize whether I'm being successful or not in making this change? How do I get support from other people? in making the change. And then how do I, you know, when you start seeing the results, uh, but it's, it's taking those first steps and, and actually doing something different. And that only comes from making time to do things different. Right. Okay. Uh, and we, I, I'm a big fan of debriefing okay. and there are, there are many different acronyms for this. I use pedal plan, execute, debrief and learn. Okay. So we just, we say we're going to do something, we go do something and then what happened? Sure. Right. Yep. Uh, and if you if you don't sit back at least once a week and say, here's what I thought I was going to get done this week. Yeah. Not not that I was going to go to every meeting on my calendar, but what's the output? What's the outcome of what I was doing this week? And then um, what did I what did I learn from what happened? Sure. Right. Maybe I got distracted towards the end of the week and I I went to I did other things that weren't part of the, the big picture that I was driving towards. But you have to take time to really think about are my actions aligned with my intentions? Sure. But how do you actually get people to do that? Because I, I think as people get well, give, busier. Give me, an, give me an example of something that you want to do differently that you're not doing now. Why? Well, that, that would fall under what we're talking about. Well, I think in a lot of cases, some of that stuff, I, I guess a simple example would be like even finding time to like meditate every day, right? And think about mm -hmm. some of the stuff or just relax. I, I know sometimes it only takes 10 or 15, maybe even a half mm -hmm. hour or, or working out or something like that. Like just to kind of decompress and think about that stuff. That stuff, at least in my experience, is so easy to let slide because you have other things that are more pressing. And I it put yeah. that in kind of air quotes, right? It's it's really hard to right. do air quotes in on yeah. It's, uh, a, audio it's that urgent that. versus important conversation. I have a great story. I have a friend whose name is Mark. Okay, and Mark is a is a positioning consultant, and he's amazing. Okay, uh, and he's 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 highly in demand. Okay, uh, Mark is as busy as he wants to be, and he spends most of his days on phone calls or Skype, sure. and working with clients, and um, and he stops every day at four thirty. Okay. And I'm like, well, Mark, why, why 4:30? And he said, well, I stop at 4:30 because I go to the gym every day at 4:30. Okay. I said, okay, there's more to this story. Tell me more. And he said, well, I do that because I stopped going to the gym at 4:30 once, and I didn't, and and the results were horrible. And what happened was, Mark, Mark was going to the gym every day at 4:30. He was in, you know, great shape. He felt good. His energy level was high, and he's and he had clients and. And his clients, by the way, I mean, these are people who are calling him with big, important problems. Sure. Right. And and so he had clients who would call late in the day and say, hey, I, I'd really like to talk with you at five. Okay. Or could we just talk today from 430 to five? Or could I talk to you from 530 to six or something? Sure. And so he started making exceptions. And one day turned into two days, turned into three days, turned into a lot of days. Sure. And uh and it, what he noticed was he gained weight. Sure. He uh, he didn't feel quite as sharp as he had before, uh, and that it wasn't good for him. Okay. Right. And he still wasn't solving all the problems. Right. People were still calling and saying sure. they had problems, and he didn't. He just didn't have enough time to do all of it. I got you. Uh, and so he said, "Enough." Yeah. Okay. Uh, my rule is at four thirty, I go to the gym. You need to learn and learn your limitations, he goes, right? It's discipline, yeah. yeah. And so he and so he goes to the gym every day at four thirty, and um, he he he, you know, his weight dropped back to what it had been before. 
Um, he started feeling better and he knew that he was sort of serving the clients that he had yeah. at the best, at the best of his ability. And so it's not about, you know, it's the old saw about, it. it's not how much you do. It's about doing what you do well. Sure. And that doesn't mean everything has to be hundred percent, right? Some things are good at 80%. I'm not arguing for that, Sure. but you, you can't solve all the world's problems. You, any organization will take as much time from you as you will give it. I have never, yeah, never run across someone who said, okay, I'm, you know, my job here is done. <laughs> right? Yeah, fair enough, right? I get, yeah. I get, to, I'm finished for the day and not in the sorts of jobs that, that we have or that your listeners have, you know, it's not like ever at 4.30 you say, oh, okay, I'm out of things to do. I could just stop now, right? It has to be um, something that internally, you know, yeah. is better for you and better for the work that you're doing. And it's the same thing, you know, I'm a long time Zen Buddhist. It's the same thing with meditation. I know that I am better when I meditate. Sure. Not me, not just me personally, yeah. but my work is also better. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And I think I've kind of really realized that more and more and how important that is as I get older and into kind of my mid-30s now, uh, that figuring out your own limitations, right? And where you need to just kind of throw up the white flag and say, I'm done for now or today or whatever that means. And I need to focus on on something else. And, and to your friend's example, it's like he needs to go to the gym every day because that's his thing, right? Yeah. And just being able to, to figure that out and actually stick to that as mm-hmm. much as possible in the week because I'm sure there's mm-hmm. days that he can't do it for whatever reason. But if – if you get offset because of travel or something and you can't do that or you're at a conference or whatever, um, but getting back to whatever works for you as quick as possible if you get thrown off and keeping and getting back into that routine becomes mm-hmm. super, super important. And figuring that out, whatever Absolutely. works for you, seems to be the best advice or things that I've kind of seen that have worked for mm-hmm. majority of people because – the thing that bugs me the most, and you can tell me your thoughts on this, is is the like ten things successful people do every morning, but but before six a.m. and it's like, well, you know what? Like, if you're not a morning person and I'm not a morning person, I will uh-huh. never wake up earlier to get stuff done because I am not that person. It seems stupid to me. Like, if you have a list that says ten things to do as a night person or a you know, night owl, I'll check out that list and maybe try one or two of those things and see if they work for me. But all those lists that say, if you should get up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. to do these things, that will never work for me because I'm not that type of person. And Yeah, the most important thing for you to do before 6.30 in the morning is sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's completely fine, right? Um, you don't have to do what, what everybody else does. Yeah. So it... It's interesting. So we're we're kind of coming to the end, but I really want to get your thoughts. Is there anything else that you've learned over your career that you want to either demystify or wish more people did? Mm, yeah. Well, I would say some of the best advice I ever got. I'll give you a couple of things. Sure. One is um, – I got this pretty early in my career and I only wish I had gotten it much younger. Uh, And that is to ask for what you want and notice what you get. I think too often we we fail to ask people for what we, what we want from them. Sure. We just make up stories about why they're not doing it. (laughs) But if you, if you'll ask for it and ask for it directly, your chances of getting what you want are vastly increased. Well, sometimes it actually happens. That's right. It might happen. In fact, chances are much better that it will happen once you ask for it, right? And then notice what you get, right? If you don't get it, then you've got to figure out some other way to influence or or move on. Uh, But ask for what you want, notice what you get. I think think that's something that's a behavior uh, that's really good. And and oftentimes we don't do it because we are conflict avoidant. Or scared. um, Right, or scared, which is a reason to avoid conflict. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, so think about that. Um, I'd say the sort of the number one thing that I uh, I tell my clients is just to make sure they're thinking big enough and yeah. they're planning they're planning big enough. Doesn't mean you have to execute on all those plans, but to make sure that you you've planned in a way 
uh, that uh, you're able to take advantage of the opportunity in front of you. Yeah, that's actually really good advice because I, I think the best example, and you can tell me if you've heard a better one of that, is I've heard the running joke, at least with a few people I kind of in my immediate friend group that work at kind of a, a startup or a company, it's like, we're going to sell coffee to every business in the in a downtown city that we live in. And that's going to be a billion dollar idea. It's like, no, your idea needs to be, we're going to sell coffee to every business in every downtown, in every city on the planet, where people seem to think about their own geographic region. And sometimes that makes sense. Other times it doesn't. But I find a lot of people don't think like, no, 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 your goal needs to be global, not in your own little city, in, in most cases. Do you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, whatever bigger is for the sure, business okay. that you're in, right? Um, and just ex explore, think bigger. You don't, you know, you may decide, hey, I could sell to everybody on the planet, but I kind of like just living here and doing what I'm doing. And that's fine, sure. right? But but make sure you're clear about what all your options are sure. before you settle on a course. I think too often, particularly in, in the U.S. culture, we're so um, we get rewarded for making decisions quickly, and sometimes we we bypass important options because we don't take in enough information before we make decisions. Um, and, and so that's definitely something that I would recommend. And then, you know, the, for me, the most important thing is making sure that you're, you're working with a team in your organization, particularly the executive team, because if it doesn't happen there, it doesn't happen anywhere that is aligned, uh, and that they are all moving and pulling in the same direction together. Uh, because without that, you're just creating a gap sure. in what's possible for you for growth. That's, it's, you know, self-inflicted. Um, and you don't you don't need to get in your own way. There's enough other stuff out there that will um, that will try to derail you. So, um, you know, you can do the things that are in your control are what happens internally in your company. And so really optimizing uh, that output, um, I think, is um, always something to consider. Perfect. Well, Karen, we're coming to the end of the show. So let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, the book and any other links you want to mention. Yes, so uh, my website is just Karen Walker, all traditional spelling, KarenWalker.us. And uh, on all the social media sites, I am Karen Walker US. Okay. And then the book you can either find on my site or if you just type in nodumbingdown.com, that will take you to a place where you can buy it. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you. I so appreciated having a, a, a conversation as part of the podcast. So uh, appreciate your style. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.